Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. One of the most enduring parts of Jewish life is keeping the Sabbath. For generations, whether in Israel or in the diaspora, whether under persecution or living in peace, Jewish people have always kept the seventh day as a holy day of rest. If you are in Brooklyn on a Friday afternoon, you're going to notice that many shops close early as people head home to celebrate the Sabbath. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the command to keep the Sabbath was different from the others because it began with the word remember. As our lives get busy, it is easy for us to forget that we need to rest. But what is Sabbath supposed to look like? And what can we as believers in the Messiah learn from this ongoing practice of rest? We have invited Messianic leader Neil Saraski to help us understand why God commanded the Sabbath, how Jewish people celebrate it, and how it can benefit the Gentile believer. Neil, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Every time we have a new guest, I always have to ask this question because I am a foodie. So I would like to ask you, what is your absolute favorite food? Has to be hands down New York style pizza. (laughs) I think I'm going to start taking votes because that seems to be the consensus. Everyone loves New York pizza. I can't eat it much anymore as I'm getting older. My my stomach can't handle it, but yeah, absolutely, hands down best. <laughs> well, I have to agree with you. New York pizza is the best. Although I've been hearing some pretty good things about um, uh, Connecticut, and you know, there's some good pizza out there too. There's there's a whole movement happening out there of, of really good pizza. Sign me up. I want yeah. to be part of that movement. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Neil, uh, for being a part of this episode. We're really excited to talk about this topic, which is the Sabbath. And I'm sure a lot of believers have questions about the Sabbath, and I'm hoping that we can dig into it and and, uh, really begin to understand why it's so important for the Jewish community, and again, uh, how it can benefit us as Gentile believers. So, Neil, you're Jewish. You're a Messianic leader of a congregation. What does your congregation do to celebrate the Sabbath? It really hasn't changed much because of the pandemic. We have our services, obviously. Um, We try to encourage 
our congregants to meet at home on Friday nights uh, to spend some family time together. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday morning is our congregational time where we get together to hear the word, to worship God together, uh, and to celebrate the Sabbath that God had given to us. Mm-hmm. So I know that the Sabbath was commanded by God. Why why do you think it was commanded instead of being optional? God is intimately concerned with having a relationship with his people. Mm -hmm. The way he does that is by sharing himself with us. And what he did with the Sabbath was meant very specifically to remind us to keep at the forefront of our thinking who he is and what he does. Mm -hmm. When we look at Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13, God said that the Sabbath is a sign, specifically that I am the one who sanctifies you, that I am the one who set set you apart. Uh, It's a remembrance of the creation. And throughout scripture there are really there are two ways that god will ask us to remember who he is the first one is the maker of heaven and earth that's the creation Mm -hmm. so he has this desire for us to know him as the one who created everything that's what he does in the sabbath he he causes us to remember who he is by what he did in the creation Mm-hmm. So it's that important that we know who he is. So he, he gives this as a commandment to us. Mm-hmm. The second way, by the way, is, um, is that he asks us to remember him as the one who brought us up out of Egypt. So those are the, those are the two things. I just didn't want to leave that other thing hanging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's one interesting thing about the Sabbath uh, in Numbers 15, 32 to 36, we read about someone who is gathering wood on the Sabbath and was put to death. But in Mark 2.27, Yeshua says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So how do we reconcile these two passages, which almost seem to contradict each other? That's an excellent question. We know as believers, there are no contradictions. So there has to be a way for us to understand this. When you look back at the story in, in the book of Numbers, it really was less about a violation of the Sabbath and more about a rejection of, of God. Remember in the story when this uh, Sabbath breaker you know, story comes in, the children of Israel had spent two years, two months, and 20 days at Sinai, right where they had received the word you know, with God there in their presence, learning about God, having this relationship with God. And at this point, they had just left that that area. How quickly they forgot about all of the things that they had learned while sitting at Sinai for, you know, for two years. In the middle of, of Numbers chapter 10, they actually leave Sinai and head towards the promised land. Uh, and then they do what I call G and C, G and C. They grumble and complain. They got very good at that yeah. over the course of their, their journeys. So first they complain about the manna uh, that God, God gave them 
uh, and it wasn't good enough for them. So then they, God gives them the quail. They get the meat. They complain about leadership. Miriam catches leprosy. Uh, then Korach's rebellion. You know, all of this stuff happens. And in the boldness of the daytime, and in the scripture, it says that it was the Sabbath day, Yom HaShabbat, on which this man goes out to, to gather wood. It was as if nothing they had learned over the past two years made any difference to him. Mm. He goes out and gathers, gathers this wood. Uh, in the light of the recent witness of God's miracles to provide everything they need, he says, nope, not good enough. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this myself. It was, uh, we, we use the term moxie mm-hmm. um, or pride. Uh, and that's what really was the bigger issue, the underlying issue here. It wasn't what he did as much as the way in which he did it. And I, I'm reminded of the story of, it's a New Testament story, the New Testament story of Ananias and Sapphira who had sold their property, collected the money, and then gave only a portion of that to, to the disciples. Um, both of those people were, were slain by God because of their inability uh, to give their heart, not their money, to God. And so in this instance, it was more a matter of pride than a violation of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The the telltale sign here is that there were other things that were actually allowed by uh, by the rabbis, you know, on the Sabbath. So we call him a Sabbath breaker, but again, it was the pride. Mm-hmm. In Mark, he says uh, Yeshua says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I really, really hope that people don't think that was a brand new concept. What Yeshua does, in fact, what the whole New Testament does, is it takes the the physical aspects of the, the commandments that God had given throughout the Tanakh or the Old Testament, and it internalizes them. It puts mm-hmm. them inside uh, so that they become heart issues. Uh, the concept of the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath was a Jewish concept that was fairly well known at the time of Messiah. In fact, there is a commentary, a Jewish commentary, that was written mid to end of the first century, toward to the middle, of, to the to very beginning of the second century, called the Mikilta. The Mikilta was written by a rabbi. Um, it was a commentary on, on the Tanakh, really the, the Torah, specifically from Exodus to the end of Deuteronomy. And in this, in this, this, in this, this writing, they're discussing what can be allowed on the Sabbath, what shouldn't be allowed on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. and they're discussing the fact that saving life or preserving life is more important it takes precedence over the sabbath and the passage that they use um, is is actually from exodus it's exodus uh, chapter 22 in verse 2 and it talks about a thief breaking into your house and if a thief breaks into your house and you strike him and he dies there's no there's no guilt for that even on the sabbath 
So protecting your life is is more important than the Sabbath. And in the same discussion in the Matilda, uh, the rabbi says, it is written that the Sabbath is given to you and you are not given to the Sabbath. Mm. That sounds exactly like the same thing that Yeshua himself said. Yeah. So there is already in the first century in Yeshua's time a conversation about what can be per permitted on the Sabbath and what can't be permitted on the Sabbath. And it, it has to do with the relationship because you, you were given the Sabbath as a blessing. You weren't given to the Sabbath um, for, for obligation. Mm -hmm. So it was a really interesting study that to, to find that the Jewish thought, you know, during that whole time was was about the fact that the Sabbath was for man. It was meant as a blessing. Right. Wow. So in in Hebrews 4, 9, it says, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. How does that relate to the Sabbath God commanded at Mount Sinai. Once again, I'll make the comment that the New Testament brings everything that was physical in the in the Tanakh and internalizes it. And this is a really great example of that, to be honest. There are actually two ways you can look at the passage from, from Hebrews. Chapter four really is a discussion about a rest. And the author of Hebrews starts talking about a rest that some people had not achieved. He mentions disobedience, but he's referring to a rejection of the gospel, as we see in verse 2. The Sabbath that was commanded in, at, at Sinai was meant, again, as a reminder of the creation. God said he, he worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. So all of the work, all of the labor stopped on the seventh day. That's physical. Today, even in the Jewish communities, it really is meant as a physical cessation of work. When we look at the, the writer of Hebrews, uh, in verse 3, he talks about the fact that those who had formerly rejected the message of the gospel, he says, if you hear that today, don't harden your hearts. Mm -hmm. The implication is that there's always the opportunity to hear the gospel and accept it, which is super, super important, especially in light of verse nine. In verse nine, it says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The people of God um, may very well have referred to, for, for the writer of Hebrews, the Jewish people, the people of God who had previously rejected the gospel message, but have it always available to them. As soon as you hear it, don't harden your hearts, he says. There remains this rest. Now, the rest, again, is the cessation of, of works, uh, which is how we can see it as believers. Uh, the rest that the people of God have, if we look at the people of God as those who have accepted Messiah already, there is a rest from works, uh, and that that's works sort of to salvation. Mm -hmm. uh, in chapter uh, four, again, in verses 10 and 11, he discusses this whole idea of the cessation of work, which is really the heart and soul of the Sabbath. It's the cessation of, of, of work, the rest. Um, there's no longer anything as a believer that is required except for faith to have a relationship with God. 
keeping in mind the Sabbath was always meant as this sign of a relationship, a sign that God has entered into this covenant with, with his people. Uh, for those who have trusted in Messiah, our works have ceased in order to bring us to the Lord. It's now simply by faith. Mm-hmm. For those who have not yet put their trust in Messiah, their works continue. Their relationship with God is, is based on this obedience, this set of requirements, which the Sabbath was actually a part of. Um, but they haven't entered yet this rest that is promised uh, through Messiah to be able to stop from those works and just rest in the work, the finished work that Messiah had done. In the same way that God says, you will rest on the Sabbath because I have rested from my work. We can rest in the Sabbath that Messiah provides because of the work that he had finished. And that's really what I think that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get to. I love that connection. And uh, just to go back to the Sabbath, the actual physical honoring celebration of the Sabbath, what what do the Jewish people do on the Sabbath? Can you break down a typical from sundown through the whole day? What happens during the Sabbath? Another great question. It's not really one that's easily answered. Asking what do Jewish people do on the Sabbath would be like me asking, well, what do Italians order when they go to an Italian restaurant? (laughs) It really depends on the person, on where they are. Uh, But in general, um, for those who do honor the Sabbath, typically Friday night is, uh, it's Erev Shabbat or the evening of the Sabbath. And it's meant as a family time. It's a time where you begin on Saturday evening, I'm sorry, Friday evening, with a, uh, a short Kabbalat Shabbat service where there's the lighting of the candles, um, the blessing of uh, a loaf of special bread called challah, and uh, a glass of wine. There are blessings that the father of the home will, will recite over his wife and over his children um, and then over his whole household. And then they'll share in, in a Sabbath meal that had been prepared, you know, over the course of the day. That's an Erev Shabbat um, celebration. Uh, again, mostly at the homes, the more Orthodox people will end up going to synagogue and having a service at their synagogue. There are some who will actually spend all night and then all day the following day at the synagogue. Uh, but those really are the more ultra-Orthodox. Typically, uh, the conservative, the reform, and especially the secular don't, don't take it to that level. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning is uh, a little bit more ritualistic, even for those who aren't ultra-Orthodox. It will typically involve some sort of service uh, at, at the synagogue or shul. And the rest of the day is spent uh, in a Torah study generally, um, and and then uh, a Sabbath rest. Typically in the afternoons, a Sabbath nap is not out of the question, um, except if you're a congregational leader, in which case you've got all kinds of other things you have to do. Right, right. Um, I miss my Sabbath naps. <laughs> but that that's really a, a, a typical day. Again, the more orthodox you are, 
in terms of how you perceive the Torah and its regulations and requirements, the more uh, the more likely you are to spend the entire time in uh, in shul uh, with with your rabbi and your your colleagues studying the Word of God. So, just speaking of the ultra orthodox, um, I my my wife and I recently had a baby um in december and we uh my, my wife gave birth in a hospital um that really serves a lot of the jewish community and in the hospital i noticed that there is an elevator called the shabbat elevator um or the sabbath elevator and um on a friday night it'll you can't control it you can't push the button kind of just goes to every floor and get off the elevator where you need to right so we know that among the ultra-Orthodox, there are a lot of restrictions relating to Sabbath, and I'm assuming this Sabbath elevator is a part of that. So why is that? Why are there so many restrictions for the ultra-Orthodox? The command is you will do no regular work on the Sabbath. That creates a problem because what constitutes regular work is never defined in the scriptures. In an effort to map out what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. The rabbis got together and discussed it and came up with 39 categories that constitute regular work that would be prohibited on the Sabbath. These 39 categories were ostensibly based on the things that were done, the activities that were required for the construction of the tabernacle. And so these kinds of categories were all compiled and uh, a, a general list was created. And these are the things that you're not allowed to do. Kindling a fire could be starting a car. So you're not allowed to drive on the Sabbath. Of course, the scripture doesn't talk about not driving on the Sabbath. There weren't any cars. So the Torah is, has always been seen as a living document. And so these types of categories have, have been modified over the years, over the centuries. Uh, and turning on lights uh, is one of those things. Um, pushing buttons, um, pushing things, anything would be something that would not be allowed. There are communities, however, that have created neighborhoods in which they consider these types of activities as being done in your home which mm -hmm. are allowed okay so there is a a community it's called an eruv in which it is permissible to do certain things for example you're not allowed to carry anything on the sabbath mm -hmm. according to these jewish traditional guidelines mm -hmm. well if you can't carry anything on the sabbath how is a Jewish man going to bring his prayer shawl, his talit, to the synagogue? You have to carry that. And so they created this, this sort of guideline where if you're within your eruv, you're allowed to do some of those things that would be prohibited elsewhere. I, I can completely understand my first job before I became a, uh, a messianic leader, a congregational leader, was as a nurse. And I worked in an Orthodox Jewish hospital, uh, Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, and they also had a Sabbath elevator that it would it would just automatically stop on every floor. You didn't have to push anything, and and it 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 allowed you to use the elevator without violating 
the Sabbath. I also happened to live in an Orthodox home. We rented from a modern Orthodox family and they had covers over their light switches so that you couldn't accidentally bump into the light switch on the Sabbath and turn wow. it on or off. Uh, before the Sabbath began in the evening, you would have to put the cover on the light switch so that you didn't violate the Sabbath by accidentally turning it on or off during during the following 24-hour period. Wow. Very interesting, but that's that's why. It really is what the Orthodox call a fence around the law. Mm -hmm. There is a law that says don't violate the Sabbath. Don't don't work on the Sabbath. Because there isn't any further clarification, they want to just make absolutely sure that they're not going to do something in violation of that command. So they have, they have gone to exceptional lengths to prevent them from breaking those commandments. We'll be right back. Shalom. My name is Nicole Vaca, and I'm one of the co-producers of Our Hope podcast. We created Our Hope to be a window into the Messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. If you are interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So you talked about how different Jewish communities um, honor the Sabbath differently. We just talked about the ultra-Orthodox. So let's kind of go to the Messianic Jewish community. I'm curious, how do Messianic Jews observe the Sabbath? And, um, I, I would assume that it's not like as extreme as the ultra-Orthodox, putting covers over light switches and things like that. Um, but is this another uh, scenario where it really depends on the person, that kind of thing? How, how do Messianic Jewish people interpret the Sabbath or observe it? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, to some degree, does depend on the kind of Messianic congregation that that you're referring to, in the same way that there are Orthodox, Conservative, Reform traditional Jewish synagogues, you'll find a similar diversity within the Messianic Jewish community. So some of the traditions may mimic those of, of the traditional you know, Jewish world. The very biggest difference, obviously, is going to be the centrality of Yeshua, Jesus, in, in the service. As such, you might find some other messianic tools used in worship that you wouldn't necessarily find, certainly in an Orthodox synagogue, but perhaps even in a conservative. There are often worship bands that play. And in some, in some sense, it 
parallels maybe a Christian worship service in, in that respect. Right. You wouldn't necessarily find that in most traditional Jewish synagogues. Mm-hmm. However, there actually is one in Brooklyn, B'nai Yashurin, that does do those kinds of things too. And they're mm-hmm. even you know, somewhat orthodox. So it, it really does depend. Again, the biggest difference is going to be that you find Jesus as the center of everything that a Messianic um, Shabbat service does. We recognize him as the Lord of the Sabbath, as we had mentioned from you know Mark 2, mm-hmm. uh, that he is the Lord of, of all of that. We recognize that it is about a personal relationship with the living God through the Messiah by, by reason of our faith. And so we celebrate that also. There are a lot of other questions that come in as to how much or how little we should do in terms of that fence that we were just speaking of. Typically, you won't find those fences in Messianic Jewish synagogues. You'll find driving as being acceptable, especially since the Messianic congregations are few and far between, and most people would have to drive to the synagogue in order to, to, to participate. Right. Turning on and off lights, also not, not a big deal. More nuanced questions will come up as to whether or not it's okay to buy or sell on the Sabbath. And those really become personal convictions. Yeah. I think, as I had mentioned regarding Ananias and Sapphira, and even the Sabbath breaker to sort of bring this all back around, it becomes a heart issue. What is your heart in doing those things? If your heart is to really focus on God and so you're not going to go shopping, that's absolutely wonderful. By all means, observe in that way. If you're feeling like you have to out of some sense of rote obligation, maybe that's not the kind of relationship that that God is intending for you. And you should consider more of that personal uh, connection between you and God through the, through the Messiah. If on the other hand, you start to do things that perhaps you shouldn't just because you have freedom and you're flaunting it, well, that's what the Sabbath breaker did. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to get taken out of your congregation and stoned, but it's something you really should think about and pray about. Yeah, this sounds a lot like the uh, tension or the uh, the conviction behind keeping kosher. Um, and, and so there's a lot of parallels there. I think the point goes back to what you just said from that numbers passage of, you know, first of all, just showing respect for God and wh- how your heart is coming into these things. I know there are a lot of believers who are understanding Messianic Judaism or, or learning about Messianic Judaism, and they immediately want to jump into those things of keeping kosher or observing the Sabbath and things like that. But I think you're spot on. It, it's all about your heart when you're approaching these things and considering them. Um, so either way is fine. You know, I, I think, you know, if you keep kosher, like, that's awesome. If you don't listen, that you're not going to be smitten. But um, I think the, the point is that we just need to honor God in everything that we do. I agree. In talking about Gentile believers in all of this, what can Gentile believers in Jesus learn about the Sabbath from their Jewish friends, both Messianic and traditional? I could probably summarize that in, in one sentence. Time is the first thing that God made holy. 
today's community is just busy, busy, busy. I know I'm part of it. And I know that you are too. It's just busy. But when you look at Genesis 2, verse 3, we see that God set the Sabbath day apart and sanctified it. The Hebrew word there is kadosh, or, you know, so it could be translated as made it holy. And that is the very first time, definitely not the last, but that's the very first time that we see the word kadosh used. It's the very first thing that God sanctified or made special for him. And so by looking at and, you know, observing how the Jewish community, Messianic or otherwise, you know, how we set the time apart, you know, is a great lesson for Gentile, you know, believers to honor and make that time just different from all the rest of the time uh, that, that, that you're spending. Recently had a conversation with my wife about really about time and about the Sabbath time. And I had to think to myself, based on the question that she had asked me, what is it that I'm not willing to do? What is it that I'm willing to put aside on the Sabbath? And it's not a matter of what it is that you're doing or the things that you have or the places that you're going. It's really about the time that you're spending and how you're focusing that time. And that, I think, is one of the greatest things that we can we can pass on uh, regarding the Sabbath. Uh, God is sovereign over time. He does set other things apart, but the first thing he did um, was to set it apart this time so that we could have that relationship with him. So as we wait for Yeshua's return, what should Sabbath look like? Hopeful anticipation. Amen. We should we should be resting on the Sabbath. We shouldn't be striving for anything other than the relationship that God had always intended us to have with him. We should be focused on Messiah and his his return. Not because we there's anything we have to do, but because he is our groom and he is returning for his bride. Um, we should be protecting his reputation until he comes, uh, which is what a good bride does during, during the time of the betrothal. And, and again, we should be always ready for his, his return. That's going to be a wonderful time when we can all enter into, um, you know, this eternal rest, this, they call it the Shabbat Menucha, um, in which we none of us will have to work or strive for that relationship anymore because our God will be with us, which is what Emmanuel means. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is our Messiah, Yeshua. thank you so much uh, for being with us and talking about uh, the Sabbath on the Sabbath. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. We just really appreciate your insights and uh, your experience in all of this. Any closing words do you want to mention? Maybe a listener is listening to this on the Sabbath or approaching Sabbath and a little quick word of encouragement. Yeah, the Sabbath was given for you. We talk about 
believers or unbelievers, God gave the Sabbath to all of creation. And he gave it to you, and I'm talking to you listeners, for a blessing. You can certainly choose not to receive the gift of the blessing that God has given, but he has given it so freely, it would be a shame not to take advantage of this immense, incredible gift of rest that he has given. How you rest is between you and God, but don't miss the opportunity to spend that holy time with the holy God who has given his son to make you holy too. When Yeshua returns, there will be true eternal rest for all who believe in him. And while we are on earth, Sabbath gives us a glimpse of what this rest could look like. Remember, Sabbath was made for us. It gives us a day to rest from our work, reconnect with God, and spend time with our loved ones. If you would like to check out a Messianic Sabbath service, you can watch the service live stream or visit one of our affiliated Messianic congregations. Find one near you at chosenpeople.com slash messianic congregations. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Neil Saraski, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sui, and Kyron Bautista. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.